Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning. We thank you that we can be here in your presence, that we can be blessed uh, through your word and in worship and, Lord, just knowing that you are with us. We ask your blessings upon us through the hearing of your word and the understanding of it, Lord. We give it to you all in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, whether someone has... uh, Wrong one. You're getting there. Okay. Give me a thumbs up when we're there. Okay. There we go. Whether someone has been in a gang and they came out of the gang and they accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, or maybe they were under a drug addiction and they were saved in Christ and they came out of that drug addiction, or maybe they just were a selfish person living for themselves. Whatever was going on in someone's life before they knew Jesus and then they received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, one of the challenges is to get past our past. What I mean is that when we are growing up, we have our families, we have our friends, we have the people that we hang out with, right? And they influence our life. They shape our behavior. They shape what we believe and what we think. And as we become a Christian, we have to make dramatic shifts oftentimes. It's not just coming to church all the time. It's not just starting to read your Bible, but it's the changing of how we talk and how we act and how we think and how we relate to other people. Really, it is a choice of letting Jesus be your Lord, not just your Savior, being your Lord and following Jesus fully. This morning, as we get back to the story, we are in chapter 5, and we are talking about how the Israelites have been led out of Egypt, and they have now come to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was a place where Moses had the conversation with God in the burning bush. And they come here, And as they arrive here, we're going to see that they are going to be challenged to think about how they relate to each other, how they talk, how they behave, what they think. And so God is going to challenge them in terms of the idols that exist around them, the culture that they are supposed to create, and the covenant that he has established with them. And so we're going to understand all these things this morning. I've talked before about how amazing it was for me to see my children be born. I mean, that was just probably the most profound thing for me ever, to, to, to realize that Tammy and I created a life. How profound that was. How wonderful that was. And just as wonderful for me has been being able to be a father to Tyler and to Tiffany. They are very special in my life. In fact, I got to spend some time with them yesterday And it was just great to to spend the day with them and to be their father. See, God made all people in his image, didn't he? And in the same way, he has this special feeling towards us, his children. But then sin came into the world. We talked about that. Sin came into the world, and it transformed people, how they acted, right? Many turned from God. They did not follow God. They did not believe in God anymore. They did not share their love with God anymore. How difficult it must have been for God to see his creation turn from him. I could not imagine having my children turn from me and not love me anymore, not walk in good ways anymore, not 
believe and follow God, I, that would be so difficult to see that happen. And God experienced this. God experienced his people. Even after the flood, remember the flood came, but even after the flood, the sin was still in the world, and still was, sin was impacting people's lives. And they turned away from God, and they did not worship him anymore. But there was a large group that still worshipped him, that still followed him. And we, you remember that uh, that group was enslaved in Egypt. But then Moses came along, right? He followed the line of leaders of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and Joseph. And then God called Moses to help the people be freed from their slavery. And Moses, in his faithfulness, walked with God and helped that to happen. And we saw how the Israelites were released from Egypt. But then Pharaoh changed his mind and he pursued them. And God took care of them as he parted the Red Sea and they made their ways across and then the waters came upon the Egyptian armies and then they found themselves on the other side. And now in chapter 5, we see that they have made it safely to Mount Sinai. And if you remember in your reading, Mount Sinai, when God was talking to Moses, God said to Moses, your people, you and your people will come here to Mount Sinai and when you come and worship here together, you will know that I have done what I said I was going to do. And so now they find themselves at Mount Sinai. They have been freed from the slavery. They're, they're there at Mount Sinai. They're, they're worshiping God, and they know, in a sense, that God has done all of this, right? God has brought us to this place to be able to be in his presence and to worship him. And then God says, oh, there's the leading them out, right? I missed that slide. Sorry about that. Brought them out of Egypt. But in Exodus 19, 5 to 6, and read the yellow part with me. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. So God is speaking these to Moses, and these are words that Moses is supposed to tell the people. So in this message, God is affirming to his people that they are his treasured people. This is why he has saved them. This is why he has brought them to the mountain, because they have still believed in him in spite of all that they've encountered, all that they've had to deal with, their difficult journey from, from Egypt. They are still his treasured people. And so Moses gives this message to the people, and then in, in Exodus 19, verse 8, we see the message is received from God, and the people respond in verse 8. Read the underlined part with me. The people all answered as one. Everything that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. So God gave Moses a message. Moses went to the people. He gave them the message. The people respond as one. Isn't that an interesting statement? The people respond as one. They were unified in this, right? They said, we are committing ourselves again to you. I know we grumbled in the past. I know that we weren't so good. I know that, you know, we've done these things, but we commit ourselves to you. Now, keep that in mind in the back of your head, right? Keep that in mind. We are one. Everything you're spoken, Lord, we will do. Okay? Making their commitment to the Lord. 
Back in the fall of 2007, you might remember that there was a TV show called Kid Nation. It was an interesting show. Um, they brought all these kids together in this one little area. And there was no adult leadership at all. It was actually kind of a disturbing show. <laughs> because you watched all these kids try to relate to each other, try to set up kind of a government system, kind of set up their own little nation and relate together. I mean, kids from very little to maybe, you know, 16 or something. I mean, they were very young and, and you're watching them try to behave in this environment. And it was very chaotic, very disturbing, actually. And one of the biggest reasons was because they, they didn't have any rules established, right? And because they didn't have any rules and laws, they... They just kind of did their own thing, and it was very chaotic. Until finally they said, we need to have some kinds of, we need to establish rules. We need to establish guidelines. We need to establish laws so that people know how to behave. Rules are important. Without rules in our world, our world would be chaos, complete chaos. In fact, you've probably seen situations like that before, right? where like, there's some kind of a riot, and once a riot happens for a time when the police are not under control, there is no rule for, for maybe a short period of time, and people are breaking windows, and there's a lot of violence, right? It's a very terrible time when you have this disturbance going on. Rules are important. They keep us organized. They, they set up fundamental guidelines of how we are to live with one another. And God did that, didn't he? God set up the Ten Commandments. He set up these fundamental guidelines. And it's one of the most profound passages in the Bible because it's God stating to his people, this is how you are to live. In Ten Commandments, I'm going to tell you how you are to live. Now, we just read them, so I'm not going to go over them all again. But I want to say a couple things. First of all, when you read the Ten Commandments, the first four is talking about our relationship with God, okay? The first four says, how are we to relate to God? Read the first four, it'll tell you how are you supposed to relate to God. Then the last six talk about how we're to relate with one another. The last six are how we are to relate to one another. And in these Ten Commandments, especially look at the first four for a moment. In the first four, God makes it clear that He and He alone is to be worshipped. They came out of Egypt where they, uh, the Egyptians were worshipping many gods and they'd seen this happen and, and they'd been influenced by it some. And God wants them to know that there are no other gods, no other people, no other things that should be worshipped other than him. And he also states clearly that there is to be a Sabbath day, a day of rest, a day to put aside other things, to put aside our worries, to put aside our work, to spend time in rest and to spend time in our relationship with God. That that is a holy day, a special day, a day to be set apart so that we have at least that one day, that one time when we're giving ourselves even more fully over to God. 2007, Barna did a survey, and he discovered some interesting things as he talked with Christians. He discovered that only 22% of people volunteer in church. Pretty low number, right? 
Only 22% volunteer in church. Only 43% attended church in the last week. So if you take the total number of Christians in the United States, only 43% of those Christians, we're not even talking about just people, only 43% of Christians attended church in the last week. Not even 50% of Christians attended church. He discovered that while 83% claim to be Christians, so that's a pretty high number, 83% proclaim to be Christians, only 49% say that they are fully committed. Only 49%. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but yeah, it's not that important to me. Right? Maybe it's a cultural thing, or it's maybe it's kind of a, well, it's my, uh, you know, just in case thing, right? Just in case I need to be saved, I believe in Jesus. Only 49% said that they are fully committed to Christ. Now, to me, I don't know about you, but that is just an astounding percentage, astounding figure. I'm just amazed at that figure. See, we could do, all do well to get back to the, four, the first four commandments, Right? The first four commandments that talk about how we are to worship God and worship God alone, how we are to be in, in this full, committed relationship with God, how we are to, to be worshiping God regularly, together, as God's people on the Sabbath, that we are to put aside our work. You know, we're a nation that works all the time, right? That we're to set aside that work and we're to spend the quality time with God in relationship with Him, building up that relationship. See, these are not ten suggestions. These are ten commandments. They are ten commandments given from God himself to us, his people. You know, as a parent, I think when we make rules for our children, as I was talking about, we don't make them as suggestions, right? Hmm, maybe I don't need to brush my teeth tonight. I think I'll, I'll go to sleep without brushing my teeth. And then what happens, you know, after six months, you take them to the dentist, and what happens? Dentist has to fill all these cavities, right? More money for the dentist. Right? Ten suggestions. Oh, maybe I'll go to sleep when my parents tell me. After a few nights of not going to sleep and getting enough sleep, what happens? They're sleeping in school, right? Sleeping in school. Not getting the work done. Not able to focus. These are not ten suggestions. We make rules and laws and, and, and commandments, in essence, right? When we tell our children to do th something, it's a commandment, right? It's not something for them to think about and maybe do or not. It's something that you are going to do this. And we're not doing it because we're mean. We're doing it because we know what is good and best for our children. And that was, is what God has done for us. He has said, this is what's good and right and best for us. Follow these commandments. We should not judge what we want to do or not do by what we see or what we see others doing, but we should be guided by our heart, and our heart should be guided by the Lord, right? And as God guides our heart to do things, then we know that God calls us to do something. We are bombarded by advertisers that tell us we need what we don't have, right? 
We need what we don't have. Have Italians, have you ever seen a commercial? And you're like, oh, wow. Yesterday, we went shopping um, at the outlet mall in Camarillo. And you know, there's just like tons of stores. It's so amazing how many stores there are. I'm thinking, how can all these stores stay in business, right? Why? Because it, there's tons of people <laughs> in these shops. And you walk in these shops, and, and there's all these things. And you're like, oh, I need this, I need this, I need this. I need... Right? And they, they design it so that it catches your eye, and, and, you know, and they have the mannequins wear it, and you want want it, right? We live in a world that tries to get us to want things, right? And we want to buy things, right? They want you, they don't want you to leave the store, right? Because they want you to buy right now, because you see it, and you get excited about it, and then you buy it, right? Because if you walk out, then you probably aren't going to buy it. We live in a world that causes us to want things. That's the attitude of coveting. And really, the last six commandments have to do with coveting. If you really think about it, it's the crux of the second set of commandments, the last six. Coveting makes us want to steal. It makes us want to be in a relationship with someone who we shouldn't be in. Coveting makes us, causes us to make a false testimony against someone else so that we will build ourselves up by putting someone else down. Coveting is really draws us away from God, the one who we should give our heart fully to. The key is to let God satisfy you with his spirit and with things that fulfill us in the depth of our being. As a parent, I don't know if you've ever done this. Maybe you got mad at your children. A couple times I've actually done this. I got mad. My children never really did that many bad things, but every once in a while they would make me upset. You know, maybe they would disrespect me or they would say something, you know, to me, that upset me. And I would turn to Tammy and I'd say, Tammy, deal with your children. <laughs> have you ever done that? They're not your children at that moment, right? I don't want to have anything to do with you. Tammy, you deal with your children. At the moment, you're kind of like disowning them for a moment. Like, I don't want to be in this relationship right now. That is what is happening with God, right? Okay, so remember, remember I told you to put in the back of your brain what they said. They said, in one voice, they said, we will do what you want us to do, God, right? Remember that? Okay, so keep that in your mind. So in Exodus chapter 32, Moses has gone up to the mountain to have his talk with God. He did that regularly, right? In this particular time, he's gone for about 40 days. It's a long time. It's 40 days he's up there talking with God, and the people were getting tired of waiting, Right? They weren't really worshiping at that time because Moses kind of was the one that was leading them in that. And so he's gone, and the longer he's gone, the more tired they go. And so as the story goes, what do they do? They ask Aaron to make them an idol so that they can worship. And, idol says, and Aaron says, give me all your gold, and he makes this golden calf, right? So he has this golden calf. Probably looks pretty cool. I would imagine this golden calf, you know, that he formed. And they start to worship this this calf, right? This golden calf. Now, of course, God knows all things, right? So God knows what's going on as he's having this conversation with, with uh, Moses. And so he says in verses 7 and 8, and read the yellow part with me, the Lord said to Moses, go down at once. Your people, whom you brought out out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. 
They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now, if you read that again, that, there's some, a lot of nonsense going on there. But first of all, you see, you see how God says, your people, Moses, who you brought out out of Egypt? You can see that God is pretty upset at the people, right? Because they said, oh, Lord, we'll do everything that you told us to do. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. What nonsense is that, right? And yet they have been led to worship this golden calf. And Moses implores the Lord, don't destroy them. Give them patience to live into the expectation that you have for them. And in verse 42, it says, And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. He was pretty upset, right? He was pretty upset. Sometimes you get so upset, you just have to walk away from things and say, okay, let me calm down for a moment. Let me calm down. Okay. I'm not going to do that, right? Romans 8, 5 to 6. Paul says this, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Read with me. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. See, in the Bible, the mind and the heart are not two separate things. They're at the core of our being. They're they're what lead us to worship and connect with God. When Paul says that we have set our minds on the flesh, he is prescribing the condition and the preoccupation of our hearts. This is what an idol does. It causes us to be preoccupied with the idol and not with God. Let me say that again. An idol causes us to be preoccupied with the idol and not with God. This is not good for us to have an idol in our life. An idol, then, is where we seek to have our happiness fulfilled, right? Whatever that idol may be, you're going to fulfill my happiness. Instead of looking to the Lord and say, I trust in you, Lord, and you are the one that is going to fulfill me in my life. We look to the idol, whatever that idol might be, that person, that possession, that job, whatever it might be, that becomes an idol because it begins to control us and drag us away from our relationship with God, away from Uh, focusing only on God, and it causes us to begin to just say, that is the thing that is going to satisfy me. That is the thing that's going to fulfill me. That becomes my God. And most of the time, we don't even realize that it has taken that place in our lives. We don't even realize it. But what we should be giving to God, we start to give to something else or someone else. Now, this angers God because not only does God know that it's controlling us and leading us into a bad place, but also because it takes us away from having a heart for God and living for God. So, a couple questions. What are the idols in your life? You might say, oh, I don't have any idols, right? I challenge you to really think through that. What are the things that are really important? Uh, We were playing a game yesterday, and one of the questions is, what is something that you would never sell? You had to think about that for a moment. Hmm. In, in other words, what is like really, really important to me? <laughs> right? 
What is an idol in your life? There are things in your life that hold really high place in your life. What is keeping you from being fully committed to God and living for God? There is something in your life that's keeping you from really being full on, full out, sold out to God. It's important to figure that out in our lives so that we can say, God, forgive me. Take this away. I don't want this in my life. You know, for some, it becomes, some is an addiction, right? Keeps them out of that. Some, it is money. Some, it's, uh, you know, just the busyness in their life. The busyness and the hurriedness, that becomes the most important thing. I want to be a busy person because then I feel important, right? Because I'm always doing something to do, right? There's all these things that can be idols in our life. What is it? You have to figure it out. See, God wants to create a culture of people that are following him and that are living for him and that are loving him and loving each other fully. It's interesting, in our world, we see the Ten Commandments sets a standard, right? But in our world, we live in a world now that is moving away from this set of standards. The Ten Commandments were given so that people would, not think, would think about not stealing and not committing adultery and not coveting and not worshiping idols. The Ten Commandments were set down so that people could understand the culture that we were supposed to live in, the way we were supposed to live with God and with one another. If we could truly live out the Ten Commandments, then our world would be better off for it. But we have seen a decay in our society, right? Prayer and the Bible has been taken out of schools. And you know that even the U.S. Supreme Court has agreed to have the Ten Commandments removed from many different places in our country. Back in 2017, the U.S. Supreme Court sided with a lower court and ordered a, a New Mexico City to remove the Ten Commandments monument from the lawn out in front of the City Hall. David Cortman, who is the senior counsel and vice president of the U.S. litigation with Alliance Defending Freedom, said this of the decision. Americans shouldn't be forced to censor religion's role in history simply to appease someone who is offended by it or who has a political agenda to remove all traces of religion from the public square. This isn't the only city that has removed the Ten Commandments. It's been removed in many different places because of those who were opposed to Christianity. There are some who still think that our nation is a Christian nation. I would not agree with that. Our nation does not follow the Bible. Our nation does not believe in Jesus Christ. Our, our nation does not live in a way that would show itself to be a Christian nation. Our nation is more concerned with being politically correct than following Jesus. So in no way do I think our nation is a Christian nation. We have lost the sight of the Ten Commandments. We see that idols and idol worship are prevalent in our society. People don't even realize it. Jesus affirmed the Ten Commandments when he summarized them in the Great Commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength, mind and strength, right? Love the Lord, the, the relationship between us and God, and love your neighbor as yourself, the relationship of the last six commandments. We lived according to these commands. What do you think our culture would look like? I think we'd be much, much better off as a nation. 
Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, 2-3, read the yellow part with me. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter of Christ, prepared by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. We see here there's this, with Jesus Christ, there's been a transformation, right? It's not the tablets of stone. It's not the law on the stone. It's not like this is what I have to do. It's written on our hearts now. It's what I want to do. I have been compelled by Christ, filled with the Spirit, guided by His power to do the things God wants me to do. I want to live for Christ. Are you at that place? Are you at that place? That is a wonderful place to be. When it's not something that you have to do because it's a law and you'll get in trouble if you don't do it, but it's something that you want to do because it's part of your very personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You know, there are people who inspire you with their stories, right? And probably you or some people in your families have inspiring stories, right? You've come from nothing and you've established yourself and done wonderful things. But you know what's, what's really inspiring for me? What's inspiring for me is when I hear a story of someone who has received Jesus as their Savior and their Lord, and they are living for the Lord, and they said, you know, this is how I used to live, but this is how I live now, and I live for the Lord. I want to live in this way. And that is so inspiring for me when I hear people to move to that place. The Israelites went through their up and down times, didn't they? They grumbled in the desert. They wanted to return to Egypt. They, they worshipped a golden calf after saying that they would obey God's commands, right? We have the same challenges in life. You know, in a lot of ways, our, our world is like Egypt of old, right? There are idols all around. These idols can enslave us. We need to be freed from these idols by God. And God can do that. And God will do that if you ask him. If you say, God, I sincerely, really, truly want to be fully committed to you. Help this to happen for me. What a difference that would make in our lives if we are compelled to live for God through the Spirit. And we are doing that together in the world, changing one person at a time. Amen? Let's pray.